Welcome back to Pushing Buttons, an affiliate of the Geek Freaks podcast station. My name is Kyle. My name is Kevin. And today we're talking about does size matter? <laughs> and mostly we're not thinking of that size in particular. We're talking Aww, about game length. That's true. Okay. Game that's probably width, better for this podcast. Game girth, all that good stuff. <laughs> the quality, the whole package all together. And to kick things off, uh, I know there's a wide variety of places we can start from, but I think when we think of length in gaming, I think the biggest, most obvious one is the open world game. That's fair. And I think right now that's the most popular of all the genres, basically, of single player games. Anyhow. And with open world games in particular, I feel like the overall open world size is indicative of the quality of the game overall, because that's the main marketing detail that people are trying to get out there to spread the word on. Like, for example, what I've really enjoyed about the Souls franchise is it's gone from more of a linear based game to a more open world based game. And you see that with Elden Ring now coming out in January. That's transitioning to an open world style game, which I can't wait to see more of. I think it's going to be a fantastic transition, especially coming from Sekiro, which was definitely more of a linear take. So when talking about an open world game, we're talking right now about the the physical size of the map. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. so for me, the physical size of the map doesn't quite matter as much as a lot of other things. But I I do get what you're what you're saying, though. Uh, you you want more places to be able to explore. Free roaming is always fun. You know, uh, GT- GTA three started the whole open world phenomenon it, it, as we know it today, at least. And it it definitely has a place in my heart. The open world does, but I would, for me, I would rather play a game like Bio Mutant. That is open world, but it has small sections or even God of War that isn't quite open world. The new God of War that isn't quite open world. That's got these smaller, more contained handcrafted sections of map for the lack of a better phrase, rather than this big ass open world. And I'm always thinking of Assassin's Creed when I talk about open world, because it's hard not to. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Far, Far Cry Assassin's Creed, the Ubisoft model of open world is pretty much what comes to people's minds when they think of an open world game. And I don't know, for me, a lot of those open world games just feel so empty or haphazardly put together. Well, let's throw an NPC hut here. Let's throw a collectible here. Uh, to me, it just doesn't have the substance that a handcrafted map makes. I can see that. I mean, with open world games in particular, Like I more so enjoy those side things because I can make my own story out of it more so than if I were just to follow the main story of the game. Like I think Red Dead 2, uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 would be a great example of this. Like there's so many cutscenes that you have to get through in the main story, which is great and all. It's a fantastically written story. But for me, the fun of it was exploring the world itself, going to these distant uh, towns or villages or even like hidden spots in nature where you encounter a legendary animal. Like I loved 
coming across this cave with a cougar in it and it just mauled me right in the middle of <laughs> trying to get a guy out of there i was like oh my god <laughs> like it just tore me to shreds <laughs> so on a little tangent from that i think my favorite thing of open world games is when the story that you're trying to make for yourself in an open world mixed with the bugs that are inherent in the game create something just completely off the wall insane and i know red dead redemption 2 had a lot of that like there was a stream i'm trying to remember the details of it but you were streaming once and you like got on the back of a, a carriage and i don't remember it going super well it wasn't some guy just, carriage I, I mean, uh, you got on a horse or something that had a carriage attached to it and like some guy some npc guy was like turning around and staring at you and then running off and then he'd stop and turn around and stare i i don't remember there's a clip oh, of it somewhere yeah, yeah, yeah i remember this yeah basically <laughs> just, i was in strawberry and it for those of you that played the game, you know what that is. But uh, basically, it's a small little town just north of a, the homestead, I think. And in this town, there's like a bunch of set pieces of people in their normal day-to-day routes. And this carriage, I immediately jumped on the back of. And he just kept looking back like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and then he'd you know, go forward an inch. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> And then he just runs out and darts off because he was freaked out. And it's like, why? Why did that happen? (laughs) It's those moments that I enjoy the most. In in general for you then, when it comes to a game like Skyrim that boasts how big the open world is, or a game like Fallout, that one of the selling points of the game is how physically big the world is. Is that a selling point for you then? I would say it is. I mean, uh, with those types of games in particular, it's all about the journey, not the destination for me. I think uh, those memorable moments are born out of little gameplay snippets that you create yourself in the world with the tools available to you. So then do you use fast travel? I do. Yes. <laughs> when I'm doing the main story stuff, I do. But when I'm exploring, like just for the fun of it, I'm not using fast travel. Okay. Okay. I had to... <laughs> I was like, if, if you if you're all about the destination, but I know those open world games have fast travel. That's like, I don't to me, fast travel is kind of like adding uh, like time saver microtransactions. Like you can skip our this section of the game because we know this sucks. So here you go. <laughs> like, we know you don't want to walk over here, but like games like Spider-Man, I didn't fast travel. Uh, oh, no, not one bit. No. Assassin's Creed, I always fast travel because the traversal through like in between the major hubs is so boring. Mm-hmm. I, Far Cry is the same, th- same way. I was going to say, uh, I think the game with the best fast travel overall is Red Dead 2 because you can either, you know, free roam with your horse and you can follow the road automatically and you just kind of hold the A button while you do it and you still are in the world itself. Like, I think that's the key. There is like a, you know, a default fast travel where you skip everything. But this is like, you're still immersed in the world. I think that's what makes it different from the rest. So I'm going to talk about Assassin's Creed again for a second. Just (laughs) I think we need like a counter now. Every time I bring up Assassin's Creed, just ding, add one to the counter. Um, The newer (laughs) Assassin's Creed games have actually made it pretty fun to not fast travel or more immersive to not fast travel, I should say, maybe not fun, but essentially you get on the back of your horse 
and you hold a button and it follows the road. I think Red Dead does something similar. That's kind of Red Dead. Yeah. And then you can push a button and it'll take you it'll you'll follow the road to your next quest. But you can hold a button to do a cinematic view, whether you're on horseback or you're on your ship. Mm -hmm. And it'll just like turn the camera slowly and have different camera angles and make it so you don't have to interact with it. But you're still like you're kind of saying living in in that open world still. You're still there. You're not fast traveling. You're just. Yeah, it's like a scenic like movie. Like a cinematic sequence. The novelty to that was pretty cool to me. But as far as gameplay goes, it's like. If it's a world that I really, really want the lore in, it's cool. But Assassin's Creed is Ubisoft. I just I'd rather just skip to the next point. (laughs) And honestly, with with Rockstar, I'm kind of the same way. Like, I don't I haven't really loved a Rockstar game since san andreas i want to say um i didn't care for red dead redemption or red dead redemption 2 i thought they were way too slow of games for me and uh gta 5 was not what it was to everybody else for me and gta 4 was just i'm just gonna act like that game didn't even exist yeah with regards to rockstar games i think what they do really well is world building but gameplay-wise, they tend to get repetitive after a while. Yeah, I mean, same with the Assassin's Creed games, or maybe even all open-world games. Like, I think the one I had the most fun exploring, aside from Red Dead, was uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild. With that, it was more diverse, I would say, with its gameplay interactions with the environment. You can do all sorts of terrain traversal, like climbing mountains, like snowboarding with your shield using wind gusts to propel you up in the air and travel. It was really fun to just get into that environment and just play around with the physics of the world. Yeah. Breath of the wild had a lot of, a lot of like puzzles and stuff strewn about the open world to try to make it less boring. Yeah. I think they approach it exploration. Yeah. Yeah. They, they approach it from more of a fun perspective rather than a, this is our big open world perspective Mm -hmm. so to me uh, the open world doesn't doesn't do much i I like the idea of an open world but i'd rather have like open segments of like individual levels that seem open uh star wars jedi fallen order is another example of that it wasn't open world but it felt open enough because there is enough room for backtracking and unlocking hidden stuff that it felt open like god of war but it wasn't massive like uh, a Rockstar or a Bethesda or a Ubisoft title. That's a good point. I think uh, a lot of those linear stories, they have like these open zones that you, you know, progress through over the course of the main story. And God of War was a great example you brought up earlier. With that in particular, there's a lot of diverse environments that you can explore in that game. And overall, what I loved the most about it was using the bridge to teleport between all the different realms. Yeah, that because that looked really cool. It was an amazing sequence, like full of lights and flashing, dazzling sparkles. And I was like, wah. Wah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know how else to describe it. It's like, like a feeling of bliss come over you. Yeah. The, I think the way they approached that was, was fantastic because... 
each of the different realms takes place physically in the same space. They're just on different planes. And that's how the tree works is it takes you from one plane to the next to the next. So you didn't have to have like a physically massive world to have a variety of different places. They made it work really well in both story and in practicality of the map. I think that's important, too, is to try and line up the story with the type of uh, level design. Because back in like the PS2 days, like you had a lot of linear games that had these small, really narrow pathways. Like the biggest one I can think of is Final Fantasy X and Final Fantasy XIII. Mm-hmm. They boasted to be these sprawling open world games when... Well, I mean, I don't know if that's accurate, but, you know, they looked like they were epic when they were first shown. But in reality, they're just really tiny, narrow pathways that you could walk along opening chests while you're exploring the story. You see yourself in like a giant jungle, but when you look on the map, it looks like a a fork in the road. Basically, like two or three different, like it ends up being like a little spider web. Like, there's just different paths, and then they all converge at the same point again. I just remember playing all those old Final Fantasy games and seeing the minimap and all these little forks and fingers and lanes and whatever you want to describe them as. I like forks and and fingers. Forks Forks and fingers. I mean, uh, overall, I think that kind of level design isn't really seen as much in modern gaming today because it's all been replaced by open world, essentially. And I think overall, that was the key difference was taking that and just exploding it to make everything seem much more giant overall. I wonder if it's easier from a game developer perspective, and I don't act like I know anything about the game dev process because I don't, but I wonder if it's easier to make like a generic open world than it is to make a handcrafted linear world. It seems like it would be easier to make an open world because all you have to do is use a map generator and then to like get the basic topography and then just kind of adjust stuff and add stuff in rather than taking the time to make sure every corridor is lit perfectly and that every room has the right amount of furniture in it. It seems like it'd be a lot easier to make a generic open world game, at least from a level design perspective, than an actual corridor game. I think it's really like two sides of the same coin because you have, you know, the large sprawling open world stuff on one side. And then you, like you said, a corridor, like you have that straight linear design on the other side. Like for me, I love survival horror games. And one of my all time favorites is Dead Space. And, you know, that was maybe only an eight to 12 hour game. And yeah, it was definitely considered short compared to what we have today. But I think the main difference there is that so much more focus went on building the aesthetic of the game and developing the lore of the game. And you see that as you progress, like all the different lighting techniques they incorporated and all the different enemy designs and all the weapon designs and even like little details all spread out throughout the game. Like I think that was a major difference compared to, say, open world where everything's kind of copy and pasted. Yeah. I, you kind of hit on something there, too, the, and talking about the number of hours in a game. That's uh, another big part of this discussion that I want to hit on is whether or not 
the amount of hours a game boasts is a selling point to you. I mean, I would say it's not as influential as it used to be. Because back then, you know, we were much younger. We didn't have full-time jobs. And I think the main difference is that when we got a game, the longer it was, the more we could do with it in our free time. And typically, those are your JRPGs or Western RPGs, like, you know, Final Fantasy or Fallout 3 or whatever. And you definitely got your money's worth out of those games if you played everything all the way to completion. And then on the flip side, you have those linear games. Like, I would say another example would be like the Metroid Prime games on GameCube. Those were strictly built as contained experiences in a basically a Metroidvania style map, which is typically not an open world style, but I can kind of see you know, taken that way by a player. But there's more intention with the level design. And I think you can go either way with it. So I'm trying to remember exactly what you had said that I had a reaction to. Oh, you said something about uh, the number of hours and getting your money's worth out of it. That leads to uh, there's been debate for years amongst the gamers. (laughs) I use that term. Uh, very heavy handedly uh, about whether the dollar to hour ratio is a thing or should be a thing. And you mentioned with the games that are like massive, like a fallout or a, a Skyrim or something, the amount of time you have to, the amount of time you get to spend enjoying every little bit of that game makes the money worth it for you. Is that a deciding factor in how you, buy a game if i were to you know use today as a standpoint i think it does not necessarily matter as much but definitely when i was younger i would say absolutely it was definitely a major decision i think uh with games like you know jrpgs if you think about games for what 60 dollars, maybe even 50 dollars back then and you get like say $1 per hour, 50 hours. Like that's pretty good. That's a lot of time for the money you put in. And as you get to more linear, shorter narrative driven experiences, like say Uncharted, it's definitely like an action packed, you know, set piece after set piece, etc. You know, you're probably putting maybe 12 hours into that. That's more like five to $6 per hour. <laughs> so it it does make a bit of a it is a bit of a deciding factor for you is what you're saying. Yes, yes. at least to some extent. Mm-hmm. Okay, I I'm so glad that you said that because I I'm gonna push your buttons here for a minute. I'm it seems like this 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 topic I'm gonna be on the opposite end of the spectrum for you on everything, or opposite end of the spectrum than you on everything. I would rather play a linear game. For the same amount of money than I'd play, then I'd play a an open world game. Basically, what I'm getting at is that I'd rather play a game like Portal Two, and I I got sixty dollars worth of fun. I don't even think Portal Two was a sixty dollar game when it came out. It might have been a forty dollar game when it came out. I'm not sure, but I had more fun from Portal than I did from Skyrim. No, sorry, oh, from Portal far. Two. Oh yeah, what's that? I think yeah, it was a sixty dollar game. Oh, was it? Okay. 
I believe so. I think for me, that was more worth my $60 than Skyrim was worth my 120 because I bought it twice. I mean, everybody's bought Skyrim at least once or twice at this, by this point. Except for me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I mean, it, it depends. There's a lot of determining factors there. It depends on the story, depends on the lore, depends on the gameplay. The gameplay is the most pertinent aspect, I think, when it comes to whether or not a game is fun. It's it's all in how the game plays and how the game feels. I'd rather spend $15 on Super Meat Boy and play that for 100 hours than spend $60 on Grand Theft Auto V and play that for 1000 I I just have more fun from a one certain style of game than I do from another. Well, gameplay is important, too. I think you take a game like Binding of Isaac or Super Meat Boy... They have really rewarding gameplay experiences mm-hmm. over time. Like one is more of a platformer, the other is more of like a roguelike game. And if you compare that to, say, an open world game like Horizon Zero Dawn, I think the clear winner is going to be those indie titles because they have so much more focus on delivering a satisfying gameplay experience in a short window of time. Whereas with these AAA titles, like I mentioned they're going to be able to take that slower approach to building the momentum. And then once you get to that like climax of gameplay, it's like clicks in. And I think from there, the players is way more engaged in it. Like another good example would be Spider-Man. Like when you first get web sling, like let's be Mm -hmm. real, that's like incredible. And you just want to keep playing after that for a game like Spider-Man, $60 is a no brainer. I, of course, waited over a year to play it, and I got it for like $20, and I loved it even more. (laughs) But I do recall you and Robert really enjoying that on release. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you brought up Horizon Zero Dawn, too, because I would rather spend like $150 on Horizon Zero Dawn than $60 on an Assassin's Creed. Because you can tell a difference in the amount of detail and the type of detail that was paid attention to when making those games. I feel like Assassin's Creed is all about trying to have the the biggest open world with the kind of to some extent now, especially with Valhalla, the the most variety of stuff to do because there's different kinds of mysteries, there's different artifacts, there's different collectibles. In that game, but it's all in one relatively flat open world. Horizon Zero Dawn, that game was incredible. The 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 combat, it for me, the combat in Horizon Zero Dawn is equal to the traversal in Spider-Man and how much fun it was. I can see that. I do agree. It I th- changed the game so much and it made me want to not fast travel at all in that game because I wanted to keep coming through these uh, going through these encounters with the robot dinosaurs and taking them out because the combat system was so fun. It was rewarding and it, it, it was just a way to keep me immersed in the game in the same way that the traversal in Spider-Man did. I mean, it's really interesting with Horizon because I remember when I first played it, I did not like that starting area at all. But once you get out of there, the game opens up 
it expands significantly. And that's when it really pulled me in. And I was gratified immensely by using her bow and her traps all together to kind of piece my way around each uh, situation. And another thing about Zero Dawn I liked was the open world's design. It was more contained, it felt like. It wasn't this big. Like, you couldn't climb up the sides of the mountains because that was the edge of the map, basically. But I think that helped it overall because it helped kind of deliver a more contained, like, more focused narrative in that way. It's kind of hard to explain. You exactly made the point that I was trying to get to was that that game wasn't a massive open world like we see in a Bethesda, Rockstar, Ubisoft game, but it was more fun. The world that was there was much more fun. And it is a true open world game like the other ones, but it was more handcrafted toward having this fun experience. And you could even see it in the not just the the graphics visually, but in how the world was designed with all the mountains and the the cliffs and uh, the level, the harder enemies and stuff. It was trying to get you off from these harder areas. But if you wanted to, you could always find a way through it. Whereas some other games use like invisible walls or say, oh, you can't leave this island yet. That's one trope that I really hate is the starting island in a video game. And you mentioned (laughs) that uh, Horizon Zero Dawn kind of does that, too, with the the starting area. You know, I Um, think uh, overall, the best games that are open world have hubs with a narrow path connecting. them. Yeah, I think. That helps break it up better than having just a huge circle like Breath of the Wild. Because Breath of the Wild, while it was fantastic, it was seamless. The issue with it was that it didn't really have a focus to it. Like, even the main story of it, it was just kind of like, go off in this portion of the world and deal with that. But with those hubs, you have a story or a linear thing connecting the two. And I think that's, in my opinion, the better way of doing an open world style game is having the hubs in general. So that's what Mass Effect did very well is you had the ship, the Normandy. You also had the Citadel at one point that kind of acted as two different hubs, but it was mostly mostly the Normandy was like your hub. And then from there, you'd choose what planet you go to. And each planet was a contained mini open world, I suppose. God of War was the same way. The first Assassin's Creed was the same way. There was like it wasn't so much a hub as it was like a small open world where you would go from Jerusalem to to all the other little areas in that. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was Assassin's Creed 2 that actually had a a full on open world. Hmm. I mean, going back to Assassin's Creed, I think the best one. We have to go back to Assassin's Creed. (laughs) I mean, 2 was an astonishing game, but I think that 2 was broken up into hubs. Oh, was like it? with Venice and I can't remember the other cities like uh, Montenegro, I think it was called. Man, it's been so long because that was your main base and you had to upgrade it. And then you would go to Venice and Florence. And I didn't think you had a base in number two. I thought that wasn't until Brotherhood. I think it was in two because that was like your main Maybe Mansion. we should go back and play those games sometime to see how well they held. It's been too long. Well, they hold up. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't played them since release. But yeah. Brotherhood was more of a uh, that. That's actually the issue with the other Assassin's Creed games after two. 
is they would just take place in a single city. Like Brotherhood, while it was fantastic, it was in Rome. But after that, we had Revelation, which was in Constantinople. And then, of course, London and Paris with Unity and uh, I can't remember the London one now. What's it called? Syndicate. Syndicate. Thank you. You skipped Assassin's Creed 3 in there. Oh, well, that's... (laughs) It's understandable, though. (laughs) I don't blame you. Well, uh... That if was the Robert first one was I... here, he would probably have brought it up, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> that was the first Assassin's Creed game that I didn't play through all the way. Yeah, it's not the only one mess. now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't play Unity or Syndicate either, and then I didn't play the 2D ones. This is not the Assassin's Creed podcast, it's damn not, it. but we keep going to that, don't we? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm looking at my most played games on Steam list. Oh, shit. One, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, the seventh most played game I have on Steam is only 54 hours, but it's Assassin's Creed 4, which is arguably the best Assassin's Creed. It's Black Flag. Assassin's Creed Origins is my one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh top played game. And then Black Flag is after that at number nine. Number 11 is Unity. Number 12 <laughs> is Syndicate. Oh my God. Because I 100%ed them. Oh, okay. And you got Rogue a few more underneath that, too. Oh, shit, I do. I forgot about Rogue. That one was good. I loved Rogue. That was the best one. The best story. There are two other types of games that I want to talk about in this episode. And they would be the roguelike and the MMO. Yes. And that has a lot to do with our most played on Steam games. (laughs) Because for me, the the top three are roguelikes and i know well i guess for you it'd be mmos yeah mmos yeah so replayability continuability if that's a word (laughs) i'm gonna stick with that continuability yes uh all contribute to the number of hours you spend in a game what is it that keeps you going to a game that you've got over a thousand hours in and are still willing to continue playing to this day. Well, this is easy. It's basically my self insertion in the game. I pick a character like say for an MMO, I'm playing both world of Warcraft and final fantasy 14. Oh my God. Two MMOs. That is insane. (laughs) Go on. Sorry. (laughs) Well, I mean, I definitely have way more time in wow than I do final fantasy 14, but it's basically being able to role play as another character, like base. Uh, I mean, it's kind of hard to describe. It's not more so like a role play. It's more like a power feeling. Like I don't get from my day to day life. I think we've talked about this before on our previous series. Back when we had Robert still with us <laughs> and the gameplay loop is really rewarding as well. You're constantly getting that dopamine hit that makes you feel good. So it's like sort of an addiction, but it's also that feeling you get with your character that you've made and progressed and went through so much trials and tribulations with. Like that experience stays with you outside the game. In an MMO. More so than another, any other type. Like God of War is, a, is, is like the male power fantasy video game. At least it the is. old the old school God of War games. No, so you're not, not wrong there. You're not wrong. I, I just feel like this is more my creation, I guess. Like okay. even the character's my own creation. 
that's the main difference. I got you. Okay. Okay. This is yeah. a controversial take, but I think the best video games ever made have a silent protagonist where you can basically self-insert yourself as the protagonist. I don't know how controversial that actually is. I don't think that's as hot of a take as it might seem like it is. That's a, it's a pretty popular opinion. and I, I tend to agree with that. Oh, it's one okay. time that you and I like almost wholeheartedly agree. Well, hey, that's <laughs> the first of the podcast. There we go. <laughs> I think it might be. <laughs> yeah, like Half-Life. It brought up Portal earlier. I, I get more invested in playing as Gordon Freeman or as Chell. I think it was Chell. Chell, yeah. In Portal yeah. 2. And, yeah. I'm more invested in those characters than I do in playing Eivor in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. That's why I love the Legend of Zelda series, because Link is basically you. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's also basically Shigeru Miyamoto. <laughs> At least also how he sees himself, but... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the, the, last, the last topic I want to bring up is the roguelike. Because mm-hmm. for me, roguelikes are the ultimate dollar for your hour deal. And I'm not big on dollars for dollars per hour, hours per dollar, whatever it is. But if you're going to make that argument, a roguelike is probably the best example of a good. It's probably the best good example of that. My top three games on Steam. I've got The Binding of Isaac Rebirth is my most played. Spelunky is underneath that. And then the original Flash, The Binding of Isaac is number three. Oh, wow. Okay, so you've done a lot. I mean, it's we're only talking about hundreds of hours, not thousands of hours. So I've got about 450 hours in Isaac Rebirth, and that's including the expansion packs and DLCs. Um, those types of games are always fun to go back to because a game like Spelunky, you can beat it in like four minutes or you can take your take your time with it using air quotes and beat <laughs> it in like an hour. But it's relatively different every time you play it. So it gives you a reason to keep coming back. Plus, the gameplay loop is just fun to begin with in most of those kinds of games. Hades is a great example of a game that blends lore, fun gameplay, and the, the, the basic design of it. It's the perfect blend of all of that while still being a roguelike. And you can do a run in less than an hour and still feel like there's a ton more to do after you beat it. Hey, you haven't played Hades yet, have you? I have not, but it's definitely on my to-do list. God, you need to play it. I know I do. you would love that game, even if you're not a massive roguelike fan. I know you like roguelikes sometimes. So I'm looking at my Steam top playlist, and interesting thing that's standing out is Celeste at 71 hours. And that's a great uh, game overall to think about in terms of quality versus dollar spent, because I think it was $20 when it came out. Which is, you know, pretty typical of all the indie games. And Celeste, I had such a great time with it. I just really sunk a lot of time replaying those same levels over and over and over and over again. And with that in particular, collecting everything in it was just so much fun to do. And I think I was streaming it as well, hence probably why the the time on it is so much longer than it should be. Yeah. On the topic of games we talked about last episode of Pushing Buttons, uh, games like Minecraft and Animal Crossing 
that don't have a typical beginning, middle, and end, but can go on forever. Those games are also very worth it for me, especially when a game like uh, more so Minecraft than Animal Crossing that kind of banks on the player's creativity more so than having a defined story with a beginning, middle, and end. Do you find yourself playing a lot of those games? Do you have any of those in your top 10 on Steam? Well, I know Minecraft's not on Steam, so that's kind of... I would say Animal Crossing, I have at least 100 hours in across all the different games. And then Zelda Breath of the Wild would be at least 200. And Animal Crossing in particular, it's just so satisfying to do simple chores and help pay off all your debt to Tom Nook. (laughs) I think overall it's just going to be really what gravitates and pulls you in the most. I've got two two games on my Steam top 10 list that are kind of like open-ended, not necessarily have a beginning, middle, and end. Uh, Starbound and No Man's Sky. So it really goes to show what kind of games I keep going back to over and over again. I'd be really curious what other people think and how other people continue going back to games and what deciding factors there are in buying those games. But on that note, we asked some people on the Geek Freaks Discord channel, which you should definitely go and join. There's a link in the description. Um, kind of what they thought and whether size or length mattered in a game. Uh, do you want to talk about what some of these people said? Really quickly, is there any of them that stood out to you? So my wife just came over and she handed me a note. Basically, it said that she has over 1,000 hours in Animal Crossing. Which is astonishing Blah! to me. Like, how? <laughs> how is that possible? <laughs> I mean, I take it it's more to do with the renovations and the island building. Like, you can customize how the island is shaped. So that has a lot to do with it. And I've seen all these different sorts of islands that people make a theme on. And it's incredible all the different kind of stuff you can do in that game. Like, it's like Minecraft, you know, the possibilities are truly endless. Yeah. And moving on to what some <laughs> friends of ours said on Discord. Kevin, take it away. Oh, oh shit. Okay. <laughs> we asked uh, the Geek Freaks Discord channel what some people thought, what some people there thought about this exact topic. And uh, to kick things off. Frank says that he is actually a sucker for that style of marketing. The 200 hours of gameplay, the bigger map than the first one. All those uh, those trailers that boast how physically big and how long the game actually is. He's he's still a sucker for that kind of stuff, which is kind of interesting because I don't really know a whole lot about what Frank plays outside of Minecraft and Sea of Thieves Mm -hmm. and Satisfactory. And those games are all pretty much endless to some extent. So that's 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 pretty interesting, I thought. I know one of the moderators over there on that Discord channel, uh, Scott, he we bring him up pretty often. He has a lot to say on the topic. <laughs> Basically, there's a ton of factors for him that go into uh whether or not he's going to buy a game, but he says 
that I that most likely if he's going to spend $60 on a game, it's got to be more than 10 hours long. So there is a little bit of. Yeah, if you're charging me 60 bucks for 10 hours or less of gameplay, I'm probably not going to play is what he says. Um, replayability is a huge factor. I know Googleizer uh, uh, says that replayability and the gameplay is, mo- is some of the most important things to him when it comes to whether or not a game is worth the money. Uh, not necessarily how long the game is or how big the game is. And uh, Fly Pirate kind of says about the same thing. It's mostly mostly replayability. Um, I think he kind of equates length with goodness of a game to some extent. He got really into talking about Boneworks, so it's kind of hard to <laughs> distinguish <laughs> what he was trying to say on the the topic exactly so sorry if i totally misrepresented you there fly pirate but uh, it seems like people's opinions on this are just kind of all over the place yeah i do know for a fact that robert who was formerly of the pushing buttons podcast he more so likes those action set piece games with narrative driven you know dialogue and stuff like uncharted or last of us or something like that He's also the biggest Ubisoft game fanboy that I've ever met. Oh, careful there. (laughs) Those are uh, damaging words now. Careful. (laughs) I don't think they're damaging. People are entitled to their opinions on video games, and he he likes those big ass open world games. I, I know we've talked about this on old school pushing buttons, and he was always saying that the more more time he can spend with the game, the more worthwhile it is for him. So he'll play like almost any open world game. He even played Days Gone on the PS4. Did he? Yeah, he did. Oh, Days Gone. I was thinking of Day Z for some reason. Oh, yeah. No, I don't think he would have played that one. No, no. <laughs> yeah, people's opinions seem to be like all over the place. It's, a, it's an interesting topic. I want to get uh, uh, anybody else that has any opinions on this that's listening to this. Let us know. Join, join the Geek Freaks Discord. Seriously, let us know because I love studying <laughs> how people buy games and i'm not in marketing or pr or anything like that i just i i love video games and i love trying to figure out what makes people make the decisions they make especially when it comes to their money but yeah um i think that's about all we've got for you this this time thank you for joining us we'll be back in two weeks right kyle two weeks another two weeks yep we're bi-weekly on the geek freaks podcast station and Usually every Wednesday is when we get an episode out to you guys. Every other Wednesday. Every other Wednesday. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for joining us, and we will we'll see you next time. Thank you. Love you.